Now, I, I, uh, Pastor Brett was coming to me when we were concluding the study of the last book that we went through, and he goes, so what are we going to teach on? Because I need to get the graphic put together and all that stuff. And I was laboring over it because I knew what the book was that I was supposed to teach out of. I didn't want to. I knew what followed it, and I knew we were going through the, the, the epistles of Paul, and I knew Galatians was coming. And I studied Galatians when I was in college in our fraternity because every fraternity member at this Christian fraternity had to study the book of Galatians. I, I struggled with it then. Uh, Galatians and the book of Romans are two really difficult books for me. I, I'm a narrative kind of guy. I like to tell stories. And when Paul's doing Romans and Galatians, he's got his attorney hat on, his lawyer hat, and I'm like, boring. <laughs> it's just a, I, my stretch marks on my brain. It hurts. I don't like it. And um, so I, I, the reason why I was struggling telling Brett that we we're going to teach through Galatians is because I just I struggle understanding it. And if you're struggling, we're all in the same boat. And then I turned to Galatians 4, an initial reading through this week, initial reading Galatians 4, I was like, really? Really? I mean, let's take a look at it. It'll, it'll make sense. Don't panic. It'll make sense. But we're in, we're in Galatians chapter 4. We're going to begin at verse 21. We stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. We'll sit for the word of the teacher. Please stand. Galatians chapter 4. It'll make sense, but it's totally lawyer-like. Check it out. Paul says, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through the promise. Which things are symbolic? For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar, For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear, break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. We're a nation that loves freedom, aren't we? We sing it in every football game, baseball game, don't we? We love freedom. Land of the free, home of the brave. Yet we are in bondage to Drugs with never a higher rate of being in, in uh, rehab programs, drug addiction, pornography, alcoholism, rampant, land of the free, home of the brave. What is freedom? What are we dealing with? What is Paul saying? What is bondwoman? What is free woman? What is the son of the promise, son of the flesh? It'll make sense. It's intense, but you have to pay attention. And let me tell you something. This child is telling you that you need to... No, I'm just kidding. No, you, you, you need to track this. Because as citizens of heaven and also citizens of this nation, you need to understand these terms. Freedom is under attack. Liberty is under attack. God wants you to know what it means. If you don't know what it means, you don't know how to protect it. You don't know what it is, you can't defend it. So pay attention this morning. God will show us. Let's pray. Lord, we ask your blessing on the study of your word. Holy Spirit, lead us into all truth, we ask. 
Lord, we don't demand, we ask please, and, and Lord, we, we respond by saying thank you because we know, Lord, you're faithful, that your word does not return void, and you will meet our needs in the riches of Christ exceedingly abundantly beyond anything we could ask or imagine. God, please teach us now about liberty and freedom. Take us through this text and make it clear. And Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, have a seat. <clears throat> Sounds like a tuberculosis ward in here. I've been coughing all week and it's allergies. All the pollen, yeah? But it sure smells good when you can smell it, right? Now, this epistle to the Galatians, uh, epistle means letter. Paul wrote a letter to all the churches in this region of Galatia, which is now a portion of Turkey. Um, he had planted most of the churches. He'd labored for these churches. <clears throat> and now these Judaizers are coming into the churches, and they're trying to set up, they're saying, yes, Christianity is different from every religion in the world because it's not us trying to obtain God's favor by doing things to make him love us. Instead, it's God doing something to reconcile, and he first loves us, and then we respond. He already takes care of it. We respond to him. He loves us first. We respond to his love. Instead of trying to get him to love us, he loves us, and we respond to his love. Instead of trying to get him to love us by doing all these things and appealing to him, like living with some tyrant and trying to dust and put his papers pro- properly and the way he likes his coffee and, and I, trying to get him to love us. No, 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 no. That's, that's every other religion, trying to appease a God that is just not happy with you. Christianity is God loves you and gave you his son to reconcile and take care of your sin. And he loved us so much that he gave us his only son. So it's a relationship of love. And it's by grace we've been saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so the beautiful thing about Christianity is every one of us, I don't care how rich, poor, what, what race, socioeconomic, sexual preference, irrelevant, we all come to the ground at the foot of the cross and it's level. And nobody walks around boasting because anything good in your life is Jesus. That's it. Amen? Amen. And that's, that's to rejoice about. We're new creatures in Christ. The old has passed away, the new has come. We were all losers and now we're winners. We're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. That's pretty solid. And we didn't do it, he did it. So he gets all the glory. That's why we sing. And you know, when we raise our hands, that's not because we're freaks. It's called an inter- international sign of surrender. God, I yield my life to you. That's why they raise their, people raise their hands. Some people like to just raise their hands in their heart real quietly. That's me. I, I'm like, I don't even want to sing. I don't want to burden people. I don't want to stumble them. but it is an expression of your heart before the Lord. And, and this is what Paul had brought to this region of Galatia, and the folks were so blessed by it. And all of a sudden, these, these Judaizers come in, and these Judaizers are, are lawyers. No offense to the lawyers in the room, but they're lawyers. They come in, and they want to they wanna fix it. There's this relationship of love. We've got to have some boundaries. We've got to set up some rules. And really, you know, God says he loves you, but there are conditions. And the condition is there's no bacon seed allowed. You can't eat pork. Right away, I'd quit Christianity. I'm just telling you that. Right? Anyone with me? I'm just saying. That's a tough religion to sell. No bacon. I'm sorry. That's a tough one. And so, so they set up these rules. They say, you can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do this. Yeah, yeah, you're saved by grace, but you have to do this too so that God will love you. And so they're laying down these rules, and they're making the Levitical laws important. 
and that they're somehow better. When we were in Israel with our tour guide, who's a Messianic Jew, we were in uh, Caesarea, which is a coastal city, and, uh, and Peter went, you know, was in Joppa, and he went down, and there he had a dream with Simon the Tanner, and the sheet fell, and he said, all this you can eat, don't say what I've made clean is unclean, and it was this idea that it's all good to go. And I read that text, and it's very apparent to me that it's all good. We're not under the law of sin and death. We're set free by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And all things are permissible, not all things are profitable, and bacon is open for business. That's how I read that text. And I was kind of joking, and, and, and our, our tour guide, Tisha, who's a Messianic Jew, she was saying, <clears throat> this is where the Gentile church began. I'm like, it's cool. And I said, this is where everyone was allowed to eat bacon. She goes, no. I'm like, oh, <laughs> you got some problems here. And I know that, you know, this, this messianic background, she was raised Jewish, came to Christ, and there, it's hard to break away from the law. Even some of our brothers and sisters in, in the fellowship who have come out of Judaism, uh, or I should say have embraced messianic, uh, the, their Messiah, and that they fulfilled their, their Judaism, even the law still comes with them. They struggle with it. They just struggle with it. Not for us pagans. We're like, who needs law? Christ gave it to us. Woo! Hey, eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow we're we'll dying. Run up the credit cards. Rapture's coming. We don't have any bearing on the law. We should. We should have a little more respect for it. They have more than they need, and somewhere in there is the happy median. I remember one time I was preaching. We invited a Messianic congregation to come and do some of their music. It was really cool music, and I invited them to come. And they wanted their pastor to preach, but I didn't know their pastor. And I said, no, but the Messianic congregation came and they played and they stayed for the service. And I didn't plan it this way. We're going through the book of Acts. It happened to be, I kid you not, it happened to be that exact passage with Peter and the sheet falling and, and making it all clean and unclean and you're allowed to eat it. And I turned and I turned to them and I go, and we get to eat bacon now. And they're like, no. I'm like, oh, you too? Okay. And it was an issue. And that's it. That's what the Judaizers were doing. It's not just salvation by grace. It's also the law. And Paul goes, no, it's not. And they're going, and we're special because we're sons of Abraham. And so Paul says, okay, you want to play that game? Sons of Abraham? Don't forget he had two kids. He had Ishmael and he had Isaac. So being, being a son of Abraham, you can, still be, you can still be an Arab. You can be a Muslim through Ishmael. So being a son of Abraham doesn't make you righteous. And the observation of the law doesn't save you either. They observe the law. And and Paul goes through this very powerful picture. He says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Don't you hear it? You really want to be under the law? For it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman, that was Hagar. She was a slave from Egypt. She served as a handmaid. And the other by a free woman. He was married to Sarah by choice, by love. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, that's Ishmael. And he of the free woman through the promise, that's Isaac, which things are symbolic. For these are the two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which is the law, the Ten Commandments that he's speaking of, which gives birth to bondage. The law gives birth to bondage. Anyone see Les Miserables? The law gives bondage. I'll show you in a second. And that's from Hagar. Hagar's Mount Sinai in Arabia corresponds to Jerusalem, which it means where they're, they're now following the law, and that's how they think they're saved, Paul's saying. But he says, Jerusalem in heaven is free, and that's the mother of us all. It's written, and he goes on to this picture, but he says, verse 28, Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of the promise. 
But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we're not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Now you're going, what, what are you saying? The law doesn't bring freedom. It doesn't. I mean, God gave us the Ten Commandments, and then the Pharisee and the Sadducees, was, with everything, they gave us 500 extra laws. I was talking to Denny Weinberg, the co-founder of WellPoint Healthcare. He said when, the, when he started in the health industry, the laws were that thick. He says, today it's ridiculous. And every law creates another law. I mean, let, let's think about New York City. It's the most in bondage portion of our nation. I can't go into an AMPM and get a tub of soda if I want it because it's against the law. I can't have my food deep fried in oil that I like that gives me this physique (laughs) because it's against the law. And is it working? No. No, no, we, we, you, you give me another law and another law and another law, and all you do is you, you're not free, you're in bondage. Let me tell you a place where laws are absolutely operating within perfection. Prison. They tell you when you can eat, where you can eat, what you're going to eat, where you're going to sleep, when you're going to sleep, what you're going to and we're still not free. <coughs> laws don't save you and they don't set you free. We're the land of the free and the home of the brave. We want to know what freedom is? Freedom is having choices. That's what Thomas Jefferson said. Freedom is having choices. The more laws you have, the less choices you have. You can't own this gun. You can't drive that car. You can't, you can't smoke because you can't do this. And you can't have that fried in this. And you can't drink that. And you know salt. <laughs> and if they take away bacon, I'm telling you, that's a tea party, baby. <laughs> Who's with me? <laughs> Praise God. Take a look at this cartoon. This will put it into perspective, the law. This is Peanuts up in the far left. I'm pro-choice. And then he says, well, can I choose to smoke? No, it's not good for you. Can I choose a large soda? No, it's not good for you. Can I choose to own a gun? No, it's not safe for kids. Can I choose an incandescent light bulb? No, it's not good for the environment. Can I choose low-cost coal? No, it's not good for the planet. Can I choose to honor God? No, that's offensive. So what can I choose? An abortion. That's kind of hard, and some people are going, wow, Pastor. Well, wait. You can, you can pull that down, because I don't want them to keep looking. I'm going, that's just not right. <laughs> Hang on. Hear me out. Let's reason together. The things we legislate, the things we legislate are silly. The things that we go after to destroy, those have value and merit. Life. We have the freedom to destroy it. Marriage, we have the freedom to redefine it. And what what we're seeing is the law doesn't save us. We We get in greater bondage. Greater bondage. We are in such bondage in relation to the law that children can't even come into the world now because the law is established that at any stage we can get rid of them. 
What does that mean in the land of the free and the home of the brave? Freedom's having choices. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness or virtue. That's our Declaration of Independence, our birth certificate, 235 years plus. Life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Life. I would think we'd want to be able to let our kids be born. Oh, but pastor, they're, they're born out of wedlock, single-parent families. It's a terrible life. They're unwanted. In 1973, when they established Roe v. Wade, the battle cry was, a world of wanted children would make a world of difference. And everybody was moved by that. And so by judicial fiat, the, the Supreme Court voted in 73 to legalize abortion in all states, regardless of our convictions. And as in a democratic republic, a representative form of government, we no longer have the ability to be representative, re- represented. They just usurped it and put a law on us. And at the time, there's over 100,000 uh, uh, cases of child abuse a year in America because, it, you know, these children weren't wanted. And a world of wanted children would make a world of difference. We're 40 years into it now. Over 55 million babies have been aborted. And guess what? The abuse rate's still 100,000. But it's not a year, it's a week. So it's really made a world of difference. We say, well, it's just a blob of tissue. No, it isn't. Where do you get that? You know, you, I've, I've used this before. I love the stand to reason. You're, you're, you're sitting at your sink looking out at Mount Boney, which is our kitchen looks out. It's really cool, you know, right on Kenmore there. We're just looking out, washing dishes. And my little boy comes in, Michael, and goes, Dad, can I kill this? My first question on my mouth, on my back to him is, what is it? It's a cockroach. Yeah, step on it. It's our dog. No. No, no, don't do that. Some days I want to, but we don't do that song. So if we're going to kill it, let's ask, what is it? Well, it's not a baby. Then what is it? How come it's not a human being? What else could it be? Really, what else could it be? Is it going to grow up to be a, 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 an adult dolphin? Well, it looks like a dolphin in the womb because it doesn't fully have the leg. What is it? When the sperm and the egg meet and the zygote forms and begins to split and all that, what is it? It's conception. What is it? It's a blob of tissue. It's too small to be a human being. Oh. Oh, so the size is what gives it its value of being a human being. Yes, it's its size. So you're telling me that smaller people are less valuable than larger people and we can kill them? No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying, especially Sandy over here. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. Okay, here's the reason why it's not a human being. It's its level of development. It's not fully developed. It's only a blob of cells. Oh, so its level of development is what makes it a human being. Yes. So you're telling me that a child that's not fully developed in adolescence is less valuable than a fully grown adult, and we can kill them? Peter Singer says you can at Princeton, but uh, we're not going there. No, no, you can't do that. It's its environment. It's in its mother's womb. That's why it's not a human being. It's dependent on its mother. It's in its environment. It's its environment. So you're saying that you're more valuable in a certain part of the country than you are here. People are more valuable in Thousand Oaks than they are in Detroit. No. Well, it's its degree of dependence. It's fully dependent upon its mother. That's why it's not a human being. Oh, so you're saying that anyone who is dependent upon insulin is less valuable than someone who's not, so we can kill them. It doesn't make any sense. It's a law that puts us in bondage even to the point of death. Laws don't save us. 
They're killing us. And we've got the choice between the bond woman and the free woman. The child of the flesh or the one of the promise. The one of the promise. This is interesting. Ishmael was born of Hagar when when Sarah was having a a lapse of faith and she just said, I I don't know what to do. I mean, I know we're supposed to have kids and our descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky and that's what God promised, but I'm I'm 90 and everyone's laughing and you keep telling them we're going to have kids. It's just not going to happen. I think you should just sleep with Hagar, the handmaid. And then have a child by her. And then everyone will just get off my back. And Abraham's like, yeah, I think that's a great plan. She's a hottie from Egypt. You're a little older. Woo, let's do this. And then all of a sudden, Hagar gets pregnant. She's rubbing her belly, looking at Sarah. Sarah looks over and goes, get out. She turns to Abraham. She goes, this be upon you. He goes, you told me to. Yes, that's what I said, but it's not what I meant. You know what I'm talking about, women. Sarah was saying, I want you to remind me of of the promises of God. And it it was later that she's 92. I I was just talking to Dr. Crilly. She's 92 years old. She's a childless widow. She had an RH factor, never able to have kids. She would always lose them. And she's she's a a childless widow. And she was saying, you know, Rob, thinking about Sarah having a baby in her 90s, Rob, my life consists of a bed, a chair, and a bathroom, and I'm wheeled from place to place by an attendant. That's impossible. And what's impossible with man is possible with God. How do we have freedom? We can't do it by the law, but God will set us free. You will know the truth. The truth will set you free. And Christ is the fullness of joy. That's where freedom is found. Freedom is found at the cross. God takes care of the penalty and the wrath and the justice and he bridges the gap between a holy God and a sinful man and he gives you freedom. Freedom to be who he's always created you to be. And he does that through the power of love, not law. Love, not law. Love, not law. What do I mean? Real simple. You can read in time because we're running out of time. Romans 7. It's a powerful picture Paul writes about a woman who is married to the law and when the husband dies, she's set free to marry another. I'll give you an example because it's a real-life picture. And and it's a story of a pastor I know who was counseling a woman, came in. The woman says, I need to tell you a story, pastor. They'd just gone through Romans 7. She says, I need to tell you a story. She said, I was previously married. Because all, all the pastor knew was her current husband. They'd been married over 35 years. And he's, he was one of the servants in the church. He's just a sweet man. He'd been an elder in the church. As a couple, they were the most loving couple you can imagine. They were like newlyweds just hanging on each other. She said, but pastor, he wasn't my first husband. My first husband died. But I want to tell you about my first husband. We were, I met him in high school. He was captain of the football team. He was handsome. Was, everything was impeccable. He was just stunningly amazing man. I married him, soon to find out that life was miserable with him because life was perfect. His shirts, white would go here, blue would go here, you know, and, and the black suits were here and the blue suits were there. And you had to have his coffee a certain temperature and only a half a packet of sugar and a little bit of cream. And the pencils had to be on the left side of the desk. Pens had to be on the right side of the desk. You were not allowed to, and you listed all of it. And he was so frustrated with me that he wrote a list of all the things that I needed to do every day. And he wrote that down, he'd hand it to me and he'd come back and when he'd return from work, he'd take it, he'd go down that list and it, and it would just cause me to hate him. And I, I, would do, I would do 10 of the 15 things, and he would just berate me. I'd get 12 of the 15 things, and he would berate me. I would miss one of them. He'd never even tell me he loves me. It was always chores and misery and heartache. 
I wished him dead. Life was hell. One day he died. He died. And I can't say that I miss him because I don't. And I hated that list. It haunted me. Well, lo and behold, I met another man, and that's the one you've come to know. I've never met a man like him. He used to do the dishes, and he'd greet me with coffee in the morning and toast, and he'd rub my feet and my back. He'd help me with the chores. He helped me with the kids. He told me I was beautiful. He loved me. He'd hug me often, spend time with me. He was the most amazing husband. As you've come to know him, he's just a man of love. I mean, anyone, the luckiest people in the world are the people that have my husband as a friend. And the account occurred because he had just died and they had done the funeral and she came in to tell the pastor about it. And she said, I want to tell you something I came across when my husband died. She said, I was scaling down from our house, moving into retirement community and I started to go through the things to get rid of stuff and I came across that list from my first husband and immediately my chest got tight and my palms got sweaty. Took me back to that awful time when I was married to him. I couldn't even look at it. As I was thinking about my husband who had passed, I looked at that list. And do you know, as I went down the list, every one of those things on the list I was doing, and I was doing so well in the life of my husband, and I was doing it with joy, I had succeeded in accomplishing the list with my second husband because I did it out of love. That's the relationship God wants to have with you. It's a relationship of love. And, and, and this, is, this is what I'll, I'll, I'll share with you. This is, turn with me, if you would, and we'll close with this. Mark chapter 12, please. Mark chapter 12. <clears throat> we got 15 minutes, okay. Mark chapter 12. Now, before I read, if you'd look at me, I want to set it up for you. What place does the law have in our life? I got to tell you, the law isn't going to save. We can give every law imaginable and try to regulate the way we live, and it still doesn't work. I mean, the prison system's out of control. Fastest growing industry in California. The law doesn't save you and doesn't change you. Amen? I mean, I was just talking to a woman who came, brought her son. She said, I got a speeding ticket on the way here. I mean, I know what the law is. I still break it. Every one of us does. But here's the picture. What purpose does the law have? There was a lawyer that came up to Jesus, and the lawyer was perplexed because he had spent his whole life observing the law. He knew the law was necessary, and he came up to Christ. And this guy was really struggling, really struggling. Right now, the Supreme Court is meeting, and they're going to decide whether or not to overturn Proposition 8. They're also going to decide a Defensive Marriage Act. And there's all kinds of questions. The Frontier County Star called me. They wanted a, a report. You know, how do I feel about it? They wanted to get my opinion as a right-wing evangelical fundamentalist pastor as they were labeling me and, and perse- you know, just dumping on me and telling me, you know, and they wanted my opinion. And I said, well, there's, there's two sides of this. One is obviously religious and the other is civil. 
I said, religiously speaking, uh, I, I believe that marriage is between a man and a woman according to the scriptures, and a man will leave his mother and father, be cleaved to his wife, two shall become one flesh. Not a popular position, one that my lesbian sister and I go back and forth over all the time, have wonderful, heated, delightful debates, and I love her and she loves me. End of story. And then there's the civil side of it. And I, t- I told the reporter, I said, in California, civil law, in a civil union, uh, Gay couples have every right that married couples have in California. And, and you can give them, through civil union, everything. But if you push the argument as to why people want this to happen and Proposition 8 to be overturned, is because of one word called marriage. Marriage is a religious term, not a civil term. Marriage is defined by God. It is a religious term. And here's what happens. The Bible says a man will leave his mother and father, be cleaved to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. It's very clear. It's very established. That's what marriage is. That's how God ordained it. That's how he designed it. It's what John Locke would call natural law. We follow it. Okay, that's the real deal. And then along comes someone and says, well, no, 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 I want to redefine what marriage is. And marriage is a man and a man or a woman and a woman and put it alongside And we want this term to be placed on that term. It seems legitimate. But here's the problem. Let's change this. This is a U.S. $100 bill. The most counterfeited currency in the world. Not for long, but... You counterfeit things with value, right? And so we have the U.S. $100 bill printed by the Federal Reserve or whoever does it, the Treasury Department. Here it is. And then this is it's made with linen and ink. And this one is made with linen and ink, but I made it in my garage and just dried it. It looks just like this one. On the surface, it looks the same. But the problem is this one's real and this one's counterfeit. And the reason why you want to put this one up next to this one is because this has no value, but next to this one, it gives it value. But what happens is if this goes unchecked, yes, it gives this value, but it reduces the value of the original. And so everything's destroyed. And what happens is now we're all in bondage to another law that takes away our freedom to be who God intended us to always be. There's only freedom in Christ. That's the only place you find it. Founding Father said, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Certain inalienable rights endowed by our Creator. Liberty cannot be taken away from you. Freedom can. Freedom is having choices. Now, this was in our birth certificate. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness or virtue. Endowed by our Creator, inalienable rights can't be taken away. On this end, we had the French Revolution, which was uh, liberty, equality, and fraternity. And they said liberty came by equality. We're all the same. And you can see we're not because you're thinking that guy is bizarre. And you would never do this in front of people. So liberty comes with equality. And we go, wait a minute. I have the same rights as you do. I have the right to be married to anyone I want. Well, But I believe that God says 
that that's not allowed. Well, who are you to judge me? And that's why it comes with liberty, equality, and then fraternity. You're in my Soviet. You're in my fraternity. You're in my group. And if you're not, that's why the symbol of the French Revolution became the guillotine. You don't play by my rules, you're done. So here's what's going to happen. And I told the reporter this. I said, regardless of what the Supreme Court does tomorrow, I still have liberty and I'm still going to be a pastor and I'm still going to preach the word. I may be doing it in jail, but I'm still going to do it. (laughs) What's going to happen, though, is in the civil realm, when you take a religious term and you apply it into a civil realm and you reduce the definition... And you demand that as a, as a religious pastor, I have to now preach this. Now we take away the First Amendment. The amendments are our rights, our freedoms, our liberties. You now remove the First Amendment, and I no longer have the freedom to preach my conscience. I still have the liberty, but I'm going to do it in jail. And maybe that's what they want. It doesn't matter to me. I'll preach wherever. But here's the thing. The law doesn't bring freedom. It brings bondage, and it destroys a culture. And, and some of you are going, well, wait a minute. I, I don't understand that. Watch this, Mark chapter 12. One of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that Jesus had answered them well, asked, the, asked Jesus, which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him and said, well, the first of all the commandments is, hear o, Lord, or, hear, o Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall, everyone say love. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And this is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall say it. Your neighbor is yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. Interesting, both commandments contain the word love, not law. So the scribe said to Jesus, well said, teacher, you've spoken the truth, for there is one God and there is no other but he, and to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the soul and with all our strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. It's more than all the Levitical law. Now, when Jesus saw that the man had answered wisely, he said to him, hey, fella, you're not far from the kingdom of God. You're real close. You get it. You get it. Love overcomes the law. We're not under the law. Remember the woman who remarried after her husband died? It's wonderful to live a life where you get to, not where you have to. But we have to serve one another. And when God has taken hold of our heart, we've been born of the free woman, when we've been born of the promise, when we've been born again, we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and we love our neighbors ourselves. And on these two commandments hang all the law of the prophets. There's no need for extensive laws. We'll take care of it from here. And a nation governed by God is a nation that flourishes. And I I conclude with this picture. Folks are going to say, you are a bigot and a racist and a right-wing evangelical fundamentalist scab. And who are you to stand in judgment of me and saying who I can and can't marry? Who are you to say I'm wrong? I'm not. The Lord is. And he's telling you that because he loves you. And he told that to me. He said, Rob, what you're doing is wrong. I have to deal with it every day just like you do. Just because you have one sin and I got another one. 
And by the way, folks, it's easy to, to, to define a homosexual and say, well, yeah, they're ruining America. Time out. So are you when you don't love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind and love your neighbors yourself. You're, you're part of the problem, not the solution. When you don't depict a clear marriage and you, you lay your life down and serve one another as that man served his wife into a place where all the past hurts were healed. Great in God's kingdom is a servant of all. Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for the many. We're Christians. We set the standard and we do it by love. And there shouldn't be people that love more than us. It's easy to stand back and point a finger and say they're awful, but this is a civil society where we need to engage and be a part of the... And I'll tell you what, when you step into it, it'd be easy to write my sister off. But that's not what God says. We love. And sometimes it's hard to love because you have to hold your ground. And they don't understand the law. The Bible says you spare the rod, you hate the child. Kids don't understand when you're disciplining. (laughs) You're going to get persecuted. I close with this. It's in Galatians 4. He says, now, verse 28, Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of the promise, but as he was born according to the flesh, then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. Even so it is now. They don't like you telling them it's about love. They want freedom, but they don't realize that the freedom is to do the wrong thing and it puts them into bondage. And they make laws to remove the liberties God has established that there's only freedom in Christ. And they exchange the truth for a lie and the next thing you know, they're in bondage. And you're there declaring to them, I love you, you need to come out of that. You stand your ground, you defend it, you show them and they are going to ridicule you and mock you. But it's okay, they did it to the Lord too. And count it all joy. And don't give up. Because your stand is a stand of love. And that's what God wants from his kids. The point is this. Each of us, male or female, Jew, Gentile, black, white, rich, poor, you can share in God's inheritance. You can be a child of the promise. But there's one requirement for everybody. I don't care if you're a homosexual. I don't care if you are a pedophile. I don't care if you're a drug addict. I don't care if you are the most moral human being on the face of the earth. I don't care. I got news for you. Whoever you are, you need Jesus. You need Jesus. And when you receive Jesus as your savior, you become a child of the free woman. You're released from the bondage of the law and you're offered God's grace instead. And you say, God, you love me this much. You gave me your life. Your body was broken. Your blood was shed to set me free. Yes. While I was yet a sinner, you paid that price. Yes. Oh, God. What you did for me, I do for you. I live to love. You get it? We're children of the free woman. We're children of the promise. As we've been set free, we go to set free. As we've been loved, we love. We're Christians, we love. Amen?